0: Know what's going to happen in that backyard? Who who, who can attest to that? Uh, yeah, um, there there was a like a tree that I'm sure needed some more like professional help to cut down that was being cut down back there uh, a little while ago, and that was that was quite scary. There's zip lines and and everything, uh, but anyway, he he came out and he gave a, uh, a marriage seminar for us. Uh, we called it the marriage tune-up. And we, we invited everyone who hadn't gone through, who came in married or together, uh, who came into the, the CF churches um, and hadn't gone through premarital counseling, so we had Will come and give uh, a marriage seminar, and it was awesome. Um, how, how, raise your hand if you went out there this morning. I, I was out there. Uh, it, was, it was great. Uh, it, was, it was a good great time. One of the things that he was talking about was how in, in the purpose, in God's purpose, Uh, For marriage, it goes all the way back to Genesis 1, actually Genesis 2, um, when he created mankind male and female. And it's deep in the purposes of God that he needs male and female to accomplish this work that he created mankind to do. And I was thinking here in in Luke, as he, he tends to highlight women and their participation in the ministry, I'm just thinking this is an eternal purpose of God. To join men and women together in uh, the work that needs to go on. And so I was, I was thinking of, about Luke uh, in that way this morning as well. So uh, we, we come to chapter 10. We're going to try to make some more progress, trying to get, get a little moving, moving a little more. Last week, we hung out in chapter 9. Really, we hung out in chapter 9, verse 23. And uh, whoever would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Said so that was the requirement, uh, not just of super disciples, not just of super duper Christians, but of of anyone who would come after Jesus. The way that that happens is you you say no to those things that you have oriented your life around. You re, you allow yourself to become reoriented around God and Jesus and and their life, um, and then you take up your cross, meaning that whatever that requires of you you say yes to that. Whatever it requires of you, whatever action, whatever um, act of sacrifice, whatever it requires of you along the road, you say yes to it. And that is that is taking up your cross. It's not just being a martyr one day. It's every day saying yes to that thing that, that would cost you your life, but in the end would bring life to many and would bring salvation into the earth. And that is how God brings his, his purposes about. When humans deny themselves and allow themselves to be aligned with his purposes, and then as those purposes start to play out and as the demands of discipleship start to start to become apparent, we say yes to those because we know that even though it kills us, it brings life to us and to the people around us. Whoever would seek to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Um, So that was the call. That was the invitation as Jesus set out toward Jerusalem. If you're coming after me, let me tell you right up front, you need to deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. All right. So chapter 10, uh, Jesus sends out 72. One chapter ago, he had sent out the 12 with a similar commission. He gave them uh, authority. He gave them a message to proclaim. Here he sends out 72. And this is indicative of Luke's uh, ever-broadening, that Jesus' ever-broadening mission in Luke's story. Okay, Luke also wrote Acts, and it's in Acts that the gospel begins to go from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Okay, so here... One chapter ago it was 12, now it's 72. And, and a lot of people say that's a number that represents the, the, the nations, all the nations of the earth. And so Jesus is saying, we're marching forward. It was 12 a chapter ago, it's 72 now. The mission is is going forward. And And he sends them out two by two, which is important, because of what it says a few verses later in chapter 3. I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. So he sends them two by two, not because it's a good strategy for outreach, but because they need each other. They are lambs in the midst of wolves. The world system does not want to receive the gospel. The world system is set against... The powers of darkness are set against the proclamation of the gospel. We are lambs in the midst of wolves. And Satan has every tool in his arsenal pointed at you when you take up your cross and follow Jesus. Satan says, no! And so we have each other. uh, And we can agree. And we can bind Satan together. And we can go out into the darkness. Um, So I won't won't get into that uh, too much, um, except to say that in verse 16, and this is going to be something of, of a thematic verse as we go along. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Okay, and so all along the journey to Jerusalem, Jesus is giving people an opportunity to respond to him. Now, we know what a proper response is. What? Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. As we, go, as we march along to Jerusalem, that, that invitation is going to go out. And we're going to see different people respond in all sorts of different ways. And so Jesus sends the 72 out, and he says, Now, just take notes. Some people are going to receive you. If they receive you, hang out a while. Talk about the kingdom. If they don't receive you, move on. And you're going to be sensing a little bit of, of what I sense as I go out to sow. Okay? I commission you, and if they, if they receive you, they're really receiving me. If they reject me, if they reject you, they're rejecting me. If they reject me, well, guess who sent me? It was the very Father in heaven. They're rejecting him. Um, What he's saying there is, you are to live as I am in this world. You are to imitate me. You are to bear the message of the kingdom. Some people will reject it. Some people will receive it, just like me. Lambs in the midst of wolves. And so we're going to see Jesus here begin to work patiently with the disciples and the varied throng that that would come after him and follow him around to come to terms with what it truly means to leave everything and reorient your whole life around following Jesus. Okay, That's really what this whole section is all about. Um, Here's what it takes to follow me now. Here's all the different ways (laughs) that it can go wrong or that you can sort of be partially doing that. Okay, and so there's three things right right up front. The seventy-two come back. There's three little lessons here. Okay, in chapter 10, the seventy-two returned, saying, "Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name." And he said to them, "I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven." Now that's probably you know just a, a prophetic. Jesus knows what's going on in the heavenly realm. He has had a vision of the end of the dominion of Satan and the kingdom of God coming. Okay. And so he's saying, well, yeah, (laughs) that's really what he's saying. Hey, I saw, I saw Satan fall from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. And we remember the very first time the gospel was preached back in the book of Genesis. There will be enmity between your offspring and my offspring. And, you will bruise his heel, but 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 the seed of the woman is going to crush his head. Okay, so Jesus is saying now's the time. Head is going to be crushed. I've given you authority over serpents and scorpions. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Okay, first lesson here. Hey, we've had success. Whoa, even the demons are subject to your name. Do you remember what Jesus said back in chapter 6? I mean, chapter uh, in Matthew 6. Maybe it's Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. Some will say, hey, we even cast out demons in your name. And he's going to say, well, depart from me. I never knew you. So it's not just in this ability to manifest spiritual power that's not really what what me what, that's not really the the indication the key indication that you are following Jesus the key indication is that he knows you your name is written in heaven meaning you have left everything to follow him yeah you have authority what else are we doing if you don't have authority the kingdom of god has come in order for the kingdom of god has come to, in order for the kingdom of god to come the other kingdom has to get out of here. That's what this is all about. We're driving out the darkness. So don't don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that you're here with me and that I know you by name and that you're participating with me. Okay? This is this this lesson folds in with the next two. Okay? Before that we had this little interlude in, in verse 21, in the same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. So don't rejoice that the demons are subject to your name. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. And then it says, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. Guys, watch this. At any time you can rejoice. What what do you take joy in? You have a Father in heaven. And, so, and, and, and we relate to him by the Holy Spirit. And so here Jesus, and this is a crucial section in Luke. Jesus rejoices in the Holy Spirit, and he gives thanks to the Father by the Holy Spirit. That's what this is all about. We're called to be sons of the Father, and that's why we rejoice. We have a Father, and our Father knows our name. And that's what, when we get to heaven, that's what gets us in to heaven. Not we went out and we cast out demons, but we walked with the Father. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children, (laughs) i.e., my disciples. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And turning to the disciples, he said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. See what? Demons leaving people? No. See the Son of Man relating to the Father, rejoicing in the Holy Spirit. We haven't seen this before. This is is heaven. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit working together, rejoicing in each other. Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. Many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So do you see there, hey, yes, there's, there's this work to do, and it's crazy. Demons are leaving. But listen, what this is all about is walking with the Father and being able to rejoice that you are a son of the Father in heaven and to do that by the Holy Spirit. Amen. So now we have a second lesson. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. Uh Uh-oh. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? And he answers, this is a good answer, right? You love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Hey, if you hear the word of God and do it, there you go. <laughs> that's all you need. But he desiring to justify himself when simple obedience is not enough. And who is my neighbor? <laughs> could you could you clarify that, Jesus? Now, that's not That's not an evil question. Right? I mean, it, He was desiring to justify himself, but I understand that. Like, love your neighbor as yourself. So what does that mean? So then we get the parable of the Good Samaritan, and this is one of the most well-known parables. Uh, It only appears in Luke. And we know the story. There's a guy, he's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He falls among robbers. And a priest passes him by, then a Levite passes him by, and then a Samaritan, who were just gross to the Jews, dogs. Like ugh, we don't, we don't associate with them. I don't know if we have any like. I don't know. The thing I'm thinking of is the West Side Story, where there's like rival gangs. Oh, no, we don't want to associate with them yeah Kentucky and Louisville, Duke and North Carolina, I mean, just take that and just ratchet it up quite a bit, okay That's Jews and Samaritans. so here comes the Samaritan, and he sees this guy laying in the road, and it says he had compassion, and he goes, he binds up his wounds, he gets him to a he gets him to an inn he pay, he puts him on his own donkey. He pays for it. He says, I'm going away. I'm coming back. And any extra that you spent on him, I'll reimburse you for that as well. In other words, lavish care. Lavish care. Now, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said the one who showed him mercy. And he said, you go and do likewise. So what's he saying? Your question has, we're not trying to technically love our neighbor. You don't see the Samaritan asking, hmm, is this my neighbor? He sees a man in the road and he has compassion and he's moved. Okay, and if you're filled with God, if you're filled with the life of Jesus, if you're walking after Jesus, you don't have the question, who is your neighbor? The obvious answer is anyone who's needed. Anyone where anywhere I'm needed. And the way that the Samaritan cares for the guy is not it's not withholding, it's not begrudging. It is lavish care. Okay? And so what's he saying here is that listen, if you're trying to justify yourself, you're never. You're never going to see the guy laying in the road, but when you become filled with the compassion of Jesus, it will move you. You will love your neighbor, but to you it's just going to be like second nature now go and do likewise and how now how do you do that? You can't just go do that, but you have to be filled with the love of jesus um the The church fathers read this. as as a story about Jesus, okay? They read this sort of allegorically. And let me just give this to you. It will kind of give you something to chew on. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Where are we going with Jesus? To Jerusalem. So here's a guy traveling the opposite direction, and he falls among robbers, okay? Obviously. And Jericho is a city of sin. I mean, Jericho was cursed in the Old Testament. So he's going away from the city of God to the city of sin. And on the way, and this would be just sort of an everyman, right? On the way, he falls in among robbers. They strip him and beat him and leave him half dead. Whenever you're on the way to sin, Satan just swoops in. And your life just gets turned upside down. A priest and a Levite, right? The religious institutions, they have not worked. Here comes a Samaritan, an outcast. Jesus is an outcast. And here he comes. And he has compassion. He pours on oil and wine. He sets him on his own animal. He brings him to an inn. Some people read that as the the church, right? Christ Christ does the work, he he heals people, then he sets them in a a place that will care for them and help them to to restore their life. And he resources the inn with everything that they need to restore this person back to life. So do you see this kind of allegorical reading? It it sort of gives another dimension. Uh, But I think the point here is the nature of compassion, the nature of loving your neighbor. It's not a moral obligation. It's a lavish overflow of the character of God, the mercy of God. Let me say that again. Loving your neighbor is not a moral obligation. It is a lavish overflow of the mercy of God that you yourself have experienced and received. Unless you haven't experienced it. Okay? And that's why I think Jesus points to who was a neighbor to this man. Not who was this man's neighbor? He says, what was, what was the compassion of the neighbor like? And he focuses the, the lawyer on that. Look at the nature of that mercy. Isn't that who you want to be? Isn't that how you want to love your neighbor? Forget trying to figure out who's your neighbor. It doesn't matter who it is. It's about showing mercy. Regardless, you don't calculate Mercy it overflows from you where there is need. Amen? Thank goodness Jesus did not ask, who is my neighbor? Amen? (laughs) Who deserves mercy? Where is my moral obligation? No. He freely loved. He just gave himself and poured himself out. Right after that... Now, they enter a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary. Now, we need to read these two together. Because the last thing Jesus says is, go and do likewise. And he enters the house of Martha, and she's going and doing. And he says, slow down. Slow down. Now, I don't think he's condemning, service is not bad. Right? He has just said. It doesn't matter who it is. You need to show, serve them. Love them. So he's not, he's not condemning Martha here. For her service as such. He's saying listen, listen. All of your service and mercy is going to fall short. Unless you are continually being filled with me. Come and drink of me. And then do your service. Don't neglect me. In all of your service. In fact. It's not service unless it comes from me, unless it's filled with me. Amen? You see how those two are related? All right. So that's chapter 10. Chapter 11. So in, in those three things, there's three lessons. The 72 came back and they were saying, whoa, look what we can do. And Jesus said, hmm, that's not it. The real treasure is. Is that your sons of the Father? The Good Samaritan was saying, Do I have to? And Jesus was saying, That's not the question. <laughs> you're in the wrong, you're in the wrong state. And Martha was saying, Look at all I have to do. And Jesus was saying, Not quite. You're close, but it's not. Be filled with me. Let your service come forth from being filled with me, walking with me. And so all three of these, all three of these point to the same thing. It's not about this. It's not about activity. It's about relationship with the Father. Okay, and Jesus has just pulled his disciples in really close. And he lets them see his relationship with the Father. And he says, blessed are the eyes that see what you see the lord's prayer it makes perfect sense now why luke inserts the lord's prayer right here okay now jesus was praying in a certain place now what's praying it's communing with the father it's relating with the father it's being filled with the holy spirit and so they're seeing jesus encounter these people who he's adjusting misguided intentions. And so they say, all right, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Don't teach us how to serve. Don't teach us how to teach. Don't teach us how to, teach us how to pray. Because it seems to us (laughs) like what you're saying is (laughs) that we need to relate to God and let our life flow forth from that. Is that what you're saying, Jesus? He said, like, "Yes." Okay. I was waiting for you to ask me, right? And Luke has included all these places, and there he, Jesus was praying, and the disciples were there, and Jesus was praying, and the disciples were there, and Jesus was praying, and the disciples saw him, and finally, Jesus, can, can you show us how to do that? Finally. You know, this is a major win for the disciples. Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father. Okay, and and at this point in the journey, the fatherhood of God starts to emerge as a major concern of Jesus. We're going to come back to it a little later on. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Right? Satan's is over. The darkness is over. Your kingdom come. Give us each day. Why? Because what's the other thing we're doing each day? Daily. Take up our cross. Give us each day as we take up our cross our daily bread. Feed us with yourself. And Forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And now Luke adds this parable to illustrate what our prayer life is. And given chapter 10, given what we just read, it's all about how to do ministry, right? Do ministry. His parable is in the context of ministry. He puts prayer in the context of there's need. There's opportunity for compassion. There's a neighbor who needs something. And it's that need that drives us to the feet of our father. So this, this perfectly, this is the answer to all those three failures in chapter 10. In all of this need, you need to be driven into further intimacy with the father in order to get what you need to give that away. You see this? This all work, chapter 10 and 11, work together beautifully. Because you see these ways that Jesus is tweaking and adjusting, and then they finally asked him how to pray. And he says, yes. And then he gives what I think is just one of the most valuable parables that we have. Um, The friend at midnight. And he's saying, listen, even if even if you're not saved, you understand that, like, hey, your friend's not going to keep you out in the cold. What kind of guy would that be? If you're asking him for food so that you can show good hospitality, what kind of friend is going to turn you away? Even if he's been in bed for a while and his kids are all sleeping, how, how is he going to fault you for that? This is what your life is you're full of, your life is full of opportunities to to give and to serve, so why don't you ask God to give you what you need because he is he is so ready to okay so this is a this is a lesson on fatherhood okay really on sonship how to be a, how to be a good child what father among you if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now Luke includes the Holy Spirit. Matthew says, give give good gifts. He's going to give you the Holy Spirit. Which is the key to all of this. It's from the Holy Spirit that we drive out darkness. It's from the Holy Spirit that we uh, are, are filled with mercy and compassion. And it's from the Holy Spirit that we commune with God as we serve. And we serve from a place of fellowship with God, not being distracted with much serving. It's all by the Holy Spirit. And if we ask the Father in these moments... He will give us the Holy Spirit. Amen? All right. That's the first unit. We have three units to get through tonight. Okay? The next two, let me give you the verses, and you can kind of do a little marker in your Bible or whatever. Chapter 11, verses uh, 14 through 54. Well, it's really, yeah, verses 14 to the end. And then chapter 12 through chapter 13, verse 9. I'm just going to give some broad, kind of how these fit in the story. I'm going to explain how these fit in the story and continue on these lessons. They're all coming one after another, and they're all related to each other. Okay, They're all building on each other. It's sort of snowballing. Uh, what Luke is doing is he's showing Jesus really providing commentary on what it means to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him daily. All right, let's hit the road. And all these different things start happening. And it's in all that different uh, commotion that Jesus is is constantly teaching and training and and adjusting and, and going with the flow. Okay, So, chapter 11, verse 14, the crowds begin to, people just start to throw out these accusations, right? And there's three accusations here. Uh, Well, not three accusations. One, the people are astonished at what he's doing. And this is about uh, his work of driving out demons, right? He heals someone who's mute. First it says, some people marvel. Whoa! Right? They're just captivated by the spectacle of it. Some say, man, this guy is full of demons. This is some demonic stuff that he's doing. And then some people say they they want to test him and keep seeking a sign from heaven. Okay, so those three things are happening, and Jesus tackles those one at a time here in in chapter 11. First of all, he, he tackles that second one. All right, you're calling me demonic? Well, let's just try logic on for a second. If I'm filled with a demon and they're filled with demons and I'm casting out those demons by this demon, does it make sense? (laughs) Does that sound like a happy family of demons? No. A kingdom divided against itself is going to fall, okay? But he says, no, 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 no. It's by the finger of God that I'm casting out demons, because we have to bind the strong man, and then we can come in and, and, and clean house. But like this would be like a, a sentry guard, you know, at the front door, or like a security camera. You got to take out that camera first, and then you can go in <laughs> and do what you need to do, or spray paint over it or whatever. Okay, this is what we're doing. We are we're, we're binding these powers of darkness so that these people can actually hear truth and interact with, with me and, and and their lives can begin to turn around, okay? And then a woman, she must have been someone who was astonished or marveling. She goes, blessed, I mean, she just becomes enamored. Blessed is the womb that bore you and, and the breast at which you nursed. And he says, well, my mom is great, but she's great because She heard the word of God and did it. She's not great just, you know, because she bore me. She responded to the word of God and said, be it done to me according to your will. That's what makes, that's that's where true blessing is. So he kind of corrects that enthusiasm. He goes, I'm glad you're excited. Be excited about the right thing. Right? Right? And this is just like when the the 72 return. Love love the enthusiasm. Let's move it over here. (laughs) Let's shift it to the right place. And so, I mean, just think about this. I, I think this happens. When the spirit begins to move, I think these three things happen. Some people get enamored with the move of it. Whoa! Some people are saying, man, this is demonic. Can you believe this? And some people are like, yeah, but backstage they still had a wheelchair waiting, and I don't think they were really healed, and uh, they were helping him off the stage. Did you see that? She, she, her leg was still hurting after, after the healing. You know, th- This happens in every move of God, so this is nothing new. Uh, Jesus experienced these same, same things. So he tackles those three things. Now, oh, then he, he says, hey, listen. An evil generation seeks for a sign. If you want to keep testing me, listen. I'll give you one sign. It's the sign of Jonah. I'm going into the ground. <laughs> That's the only sign you're getting. I'm going to die. What are you going to do with that sign? Is that proof enough for you? It's the sign of Jonah. So then verse 37, we shift. Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So somehow in the midst of all this, a Pharisee gets through to him. You know, he's addressing, he's <laughs> addressing these accusations, trying to adjust people's perspective. And uh, a Pharisee, hey, you want dinner? You hungry? Uh, so he went in and reclined at table, and the scene kind of shifts. But we're still in sort of the same. Now, now the audience isn't so much the general crowds as it is this, this group of Pharisees, whoever made it into this dinner party. Now, remember the last time he went in to a dinner party, uh, he got into it with a, a Pharisee, and the, and the sinful woman had come in, and he was able to to teach Simon um, what true hospitality was, and what true what true worship really was. Now he comes in, and he's got a plan. Okay, he doesn't wash his hands. He goes, what? <laughs> I'm not going to wash my hands. Just watch him; they're going to freak, <laughs> right? So he knows what he's doing. He goes in. He's trying to, you know, Jesus is all wise. He knows what's going to start the conversation, okay? And uh, the Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, I thought you'd be astonished. Now, let me tell you something. (laughs) You Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools. And he says this this wonderful phrase, give as alms those things that are within. Give as alms those things that are within. Now, what's within? Thoughts, attitudes, dispositions, um, dreams. Give as alms. Relating to God has nothing to do with like, all right, what does he say? Mint and rue and every herb. Can you imagine going to Kroger? And one-tenth of every banana thing, you say, take it off, right? Get out the scales, one-tenth, and give it all to God. Give, it, give that tenth to God. Um, and he says, what are you doing? He said, that, that, okay, but inside, you're full of wickedness. You don't even love people. <laughs> you neglect justice and the love of God. These things you should have done without neglecting the others. Right? So again, this this misguided misguided legalism. You think God wants a 10th of your mint? Okay, but the only what that's supposed to indicate is a heart that's given to God, that loves justice and that is full of his love. So he starts pronouncing woes. So this is not—I mean—it's he, escalating here. Okay, we're, this is—we're upping the ante. One of the lawyers answered him, "Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also." <laughs> hey God, poor guy. <laughs> uh, oh really? <laughs> we got—we got Einstein over here. He feels insulted, too. And he said, woe to you lawyers also. Uh, and so he he's really, at the end of it, it says in verse 53, he went away. So as he leaves the house, um, you know, that can't have been a fond farewell. Uh, as he leaves the house, the scribes and the Pharisees begin to press him hard and provoke him to speak about many things. Lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. Now that, this is—we've—we've we've gone up a notch. Okay. They were just sort of following him around, asking him what they thought were, you know, questions that were going to stump him. Now they're lying in wait for him. Okay. And 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 the the opposition to Jesus is is increasing at this point. So that leads us to the third, third section here. And if we do this successfully, we will be through half of chapter thirteen. So chapter twelve through uh, chapter thirteen, nine is really one chunk of teaching, okay? And the context is the end of chapter eleven. The Pharisees are now out to get Jesus, okay. And now he's going to begin to teach his disciples, now now listen, it's, it's going to get ugly. Okay, And you can call this section hanging in there, hanging in there. There's a heightened threat from the Pharisees. He says, hey, listen, these Pharisees, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. Stay far away from their leaven. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees which is hypocrisy. Hey, guys, don't worry about them. Don't worry about what they look like on the outside. right? That's all they're concerned about. What's, un, what's, un, what's underneath, that's going to be exposed. Just, just hang in there. Whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. Whatever you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Now, this is not just a warning for Pharisees. I mean, apply that to your own life. The things that have gone on in the darkness of our lives are going to be exposed and be proclaimed on the housetops. How many of you did something this week or said something this week that you would just soon it not be proclaimed from the housetops? Uh, I, I'm, I'm one. So he says, I tell you, my friends, listen, guys, it's, it's getting it's getting tough. But don't fear those who kill the body. Where are we going to Jerusalem? Why? To die. Don't fear those who kill the body. That's the worst they can do. That's where their power stops. But I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. Listen, don't fear these guys. You know, they're just a drop in the All they can do is kill you. My father can cast into hell after you've been killed. And guess what? He loves you. He's on your side. So fear not. Do you see that, that movement there? Hey, don't feel the- fear these guys. Fear God. And he's good. So fear not. <laughs> It's right right in there. I mean, and then the disciples have to be going, yeah, whoa, oh. It just resolves there quite nicely. And I tell you, and we get back to this, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge. Keep the course. Don't let the intimidation get to you. Keep Preaching the gospel, don't hold back, hang in there because if you're ashamed of me, right if you acknowledge me before men, my, so do it for do it for what becomes beyond. don't relate to this current escalation of opposition. don't let that throw you off course. Have a vision beyond that beyond death even. Listen, everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. I don't know what that... Uh, we'll leave that one for later. Um, oh, it's, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious. Listen, it's going to get crazy, guys. But the Holy Spirit is going to be with you. This is the Holy Spirit that, when you pray, the Father is... He loves to give you that Holy Spirit. He can't wait to give you the Holy Spirit. He gives good gifts. Guys, it's getting intense. I've just made those guys really mad back there. But the Holy Spirit is going to be with you. Even when you're staring death in the face, don't worry about what to say. You just keep trusting the Father. Um, So, Pharisees, don't worry about them. You stay the course. Don't worry about what they do. Even if they kill you, God's got it, okay? So don't fear. Now, this guy says something. He says, teacher, tell my brother to divide my inheritance with me. And Jesus says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. So, opposition from the Pharisees. Temptation to covet, that's also on the journey. One's life, and remember what we talked about life last week? It's, it's, it's all of you. One's life does not consist in possessions. Your identity is not what you have. It's elsewhere. And so he tells this parable that basically, don't store up riches here, right? You're going to die. Okay? And this is the theme in this section. Once the opposition starts to come, Jesus says, yeah, death death is coming. This is really serious. But listen, I'm going to give you some ways to live so that you live beyond death, so that your mindset, you're drawing strength and encouragement from somewhere beyond death itself. Okay, Faithfulness in, uh, in the face of death. So then he says, do not be anxious. And he, he, uh, this is a section that's also in the Sermon on the Mount on Matthew. God cares for you. He, don't worry about what you're going to wear. Um, life is more than food, clothing. Listen, and he, said, he goes back, he says, your father knows that you need them. You have a father, and he knows what you need, and he has got you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He's going to give you the Holy Spirit when you ask. It's His good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You see what He's teaching them here? It's getting really, it's going to get bad. But listen, those that have denied themselves and taken up their cross, you don't even know what kind of provision you have waiting for you you don't even know the level of care that the father is extending to you live to that and don't live to all of this opposition you see the the flow of where we're going the the lessons the disciples are learning so it's like he, he he front loads the invitation to the disciples Hey, Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head, but his Father cares for him and knows how many hairs are on his head. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? Hey, we've got nothing in this life, but we have everything in heaven. And that's what he's teaching his disciples. He's trying to reorient them around the kingdom. And so much of the kingdom is, is not seen. It doesn't quite break through the crust of of this sinful world. But it's there. And we live to there. We set our minds on things above and not on earthly things. And then he he says, stay dressed for action. And he gives some, some parables about the end times. Now, why is this important at this point? Did we just... Shift into an end times sermon? No. This is the perspective that we should always have. There's something beyond. And there is an end to all this. There is an end times. So you need to to live today as if it could be today. And that's what's going to keep you safe from all of this stuff flying flying around you, all this accusation, all this covetousness. What's going to keep you free from all of that is if you truly acknowledge that your life is just a blip and you live every day faithfully stewarding what God has given you for that day as if he was coming back at 5 o'clock. That's how you hang in there. Okay? Now, you could get bogged down really, really deep in the mire if you lose perspective of that. So this isn't just sort of some sort of like random end times message that he gives. He says, listen, you got to stay dressed for action. Let me read some of this. Be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Stay awake. Don't go hide. Don't get lulled into sleep by possessions, life. Stay awake. Stay vigilant. Um, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming. And this is the the beginning of trouble. When you think there's time. When you think you can get around to it later. This is the beginning of trouble. Begins to beat the male and female servants. I don't need to. I don't, need to bring, I don't need to live in a just life. I don't need to love people around me. I can get ahead. I can treat people how I want. He begins to eat and drink and get drunk. I can, I can take part in pleasure. I've got time. I can clean all this up before he gets back. The master of that sermon will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful listen to this, that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. It's worse if you've started and then got complacent, it's worse than those who didn't know the master's will, and they were worldly, you know, no one's surprised that they they were worldly. All right, I think, that gets us, I think that gets us there. So in that section, in this, this heightened threat, Pharisees starting to lie in wait, Jesus says, hey, guys, listen, I need you to, need you to focus on the important things. You can't live to all this oppression. Okay? Also, don't worry about these little legal squabbles over your possessions. Where is that going to get you? Because listen. He's coming at a time you don't expect. So you've got to live like that today. You've got to live every day, vigilantly, faithfully, uh, giving yourself to the work of the kingdom. All right. Um, Well, that gets us there. I think there's several things that you could probably pull out and and chew on for a little bit in there. Um, The things I thought about were, you know, coming out of last week, the call to deny yourself, take up your cross, and, and follow Jesus, you really need to, to you got to hear that and respond to it, but you really need to soak in these these next few lessons that Jesus gives his disciples. All of this happens as you draw near to the Father and are convinced of his goodness and trust him and receive all your provision from him. That's the only way that you can deny yourself and take up your cross. And follow him. Give us today our daily bread. Okay. So I think that that some of us may really hear that word and then just try and start. All right, this week I'm denying myself, and you kind of get this strident attitude, like, well, yeah, that's what we got to do, and and just go try and do it. And and Jesus would say, you know, slow, slow down. Okay. If you go down that path, you're going to become enamored with something other than me or you're going to become distracted with much serving or you're going to get really technically kind of at war with yourself over what's my moral obligation and in all of that you need to stop and be filled with God and let that life come out of you that is the answer that's how you stay on the course that's how you stay with Jesus okay even he he said you uh, know in the middle of his own journey to Jerusalem, he stopped and he rejoiced in the Father. I said, thank you, Father. Thank you that I know who you are, and I know that, that, that you give all things into my hands. And I know who I am. And I know my relationship is with you. And, and he modeled that in his own life. He modeled that rejoicing. Um, so I think that's a good follow-up from last week uh, for us to, to chew on that all of our service, all of our cross-bearing comes as we relate to the Father, as we hear his will to take up our cross. You know, Jesus did it in obedience to the Father. And he knew that his Father was good. And he knew that his Father uh, would only tell him to do something that he was going to enable him to do. Okay? So maybe a good thing to do this week is to, 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 to drink deep of that that provision that comes in behind the disciple who has decided to deny themselves and take up their cross, follow him. Go read, this, go read the verses about how, how, how God knows how many hairs are on your head. About how capable he is of providing your needs for you. Um, about how much joy he gets in giving you the Holy Spirit Giving you the kingdom, okay, and and be filled with that uh, this week. Can we do that? Because we, we need that, right? We, we we need to. We cannot bear our cross in, in sort of a in sort of a um, just an act of our own will. We've we have to do it for my sake, for Jesus' sake, okay. Um, so. Let me just pray. Can can we just spend some time in prayer? It says that in that same hour he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding. And reveal them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was Your gracious will. Um, could we just spend some time speaking to God and rejoicing in God? Uh, the things that we know are His will. The things about Him that we know. Um, can we speak those back to God? That and Jesus here is rejoicing that that God reveals these things to to, to little children. And he confounds the wise. If there's something about God, about his nature, his his love for you as Father, His His justice, His mercy, His compassion, um, could could we rejoice in, and just have a few people lead out in prayer and name that thing and say, Thank you, Father, that fill in the blank. And we rejoice in that together. Can we end can we end by doing that? Just in the Holy Spirit, rejoicing in those things. So whenever you have it on your heart, just go ahead and lift it up. And maybe some people will you know, compete with each other. Uh, just be courteous. Uh, but but go go ahead and lift those things up uh, loudly so that we can all hear and agree and rejoice together uh, as Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, leads us. Hallelujah.